1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to One Market in San Francisco. And welcome to Kramer. If other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just entertaining, but teaching. teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Are we now in a rolling bull market? Ah! Is that what's been propelling the averages since the Boxing Day bottom? Days like today sure make you feel like it. Once again, we bounce back from adversity, Dow ultimately gaining 123 points after opening well in the red this morning. S&P climbing 0.45% and the Nasdaq advancing 0.42%. This kind of action is starting to become a pattern. Today started real ugly, just like the old days. We got a truly nasty forecast cut from Macy's. (laughs) Along with some not so hot holiday numbers from Coles and Target. Although I'd argue that they're doing a lot better than the mall base. Macy's more on that later. Then American Airlines, largest airline by fleet size, revenues, and passengers, slashed its forecast because of weaker fares. The guide downs left people scratching their heads about exactly how much the economy's deteriorated since these companies last well, reported not that long ago. When you layer on the negative numbers we got from the home builders and from Apple last week, you have to think. Well, here we go again. The market's about to roll over just like we feared. No, no, no. We're going to retest those lows that we were so quickly out of and left behind when Fed Chief Jay Powell gave this market a stay of execution last week with his more dovish talk about being patient with rate hikes. With all of his bad news, well, you know what? With everything we got thrown at this morning, it would have been natural for stocks to get destroyed. Sell, sell, sell. No, no. <laughs> However, that's not what happened. Not at all. Sure, investors fled from the airlines, the retailers, that's natural, but they didn't flee from the stock market. Instead, they swapped into the packaged goods stocks, the utilities, the industrials. Get this, including the aerospace place like Boeing and, are you ready, ski daddy, General Electric. Yes, GE. In spite of the weakness in the airlines, and then some of the tech stocks that started rallying yesterday continued their role. So what the heck is going on here, people? How do we go from a rolling bear market just a few weeks ago to a rolling bear? bull market ah. today. Make no mistake, a market can rally even when two signature leadership groups to the retailers and the airlines get slammed. Well, that's some kind of bull. Ah. Now, there are a bunch of reasons for this transformation, so let me lay them all out for you. First, I'm a disciple of the late Marty Swai. He's a legendary money manager who taught a whole generation of investors don't fight the Fed and don't fight the tape. When I first got interested in stocks, I would always watch Louis Rukeyser's fantastic Wall Street Week show on Friday nights. He had fabulous panels on to talk about both the economy and, more importantly, the stock market. None was better than Zweig. He explained that when the Fed began tightening in earnest like they did last year, you really shouldn't own stocks because there's a real possibility of a bear market. (laughs) When the Fed's tightening aggressively, it ushers in a period where stocks would basically want to go down, that's the tape, as investors flee from the market. From late January of last year, through the horrendous sell-off that crescendoed on the half-day of trading before Christmas Eve, you were fighting both the Fed and the tape. But then that changed. After putting through its December rate hikes, the Fed pivoted to a more benign attitude, in part because they started paying attention to the turmoil in the stock market and what it might be signaling about the actual economy. So when Fed Chief Jerome Powell came out last week, And told us he'd be patient, maybe one in wait, rather than be gung-ho about raising interest rates, it was a huge switch. Remember, at the beginning of October, Powell told everybody who listened that he was on a mission to raise rates, one hike last year, and then at least three more this year. He argued that the economy was so strong that he might actually need to overshoot and strangle the life out of it to stop inflation. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. That's when the real bear market started. Because from that moment on, you were fighting the Fed and the tape. Before, we have been going through periods where leadership groups could take us down, but the money always seemed to rotate into its narrow, fewer and fewer sectors. After Powell lowered the boom on us, well, then nearly everything got crushed. On top of that, Powell's new patient attitude that he just gave us, it did something else. It gave us the impression that he hadn't totally lost touch with reality. Before last week, he didn't even seem to be aware of what was happening in the economy underneath those terrific employment figures, and they are terrific. Even today... Even today, the market dipped when he spoke about the strength that he keeps seeing. Take a listen.
2: And we see continued momentum from the data right through the beginning of this year. If you look at the incoming data right through the end of the year and into the beginning of this year, you don't really see any evidence of a slowdown.
1: Jeez, Luis, no evidence of a slowdown? Continued momentum? Hey, why don't you try telling that to Jeff connect the CEO of Macy's, who let us know that today, that after Black Friday, his company saw market deterioration in consumer spending across many different categories. Is that is that robust? Macy's is an iconic American department store chain. When it stock plunged 18 percent in a single day, to me, that's evidence of a slowdown. Same goes for the not so hot same store sales numbers in Target, Kohl's, L Brands, all three of which sold off substantially. Hey, does Powell think that American Airlines is somehow an outlier? I don't know. Not after what we heard from Delta, just six, not that just a couple of weeks ago, America, the largest airline in the world, merely confirmed the shortfall that caught Delta by surprise. Just yesterday morning, Lenore, the largest homebuilder in the country, told us about how disappointing the year ended. Even if that weakness is temporary, it did happen. And it's not just Lenore. KB Home, another major homebuilder that's focused on the formerly red-hot California market that's pretty darn cloudy now, well, said after the close of the season, noticeable cooling in orders. So why didn't today's deluge of bad news send us back into the rolling bear market territory like we saw in the fourth quarter? Why aren't we fighting the tape anymore here? Because while Powell may sound certain when he talks about the strength of the economy, he somehow still recognizes that inflation isn't roaring back from it. He knows the stock and bond markets are signaling that not all is well. And that's why he's willing to be patient. And his patience means we're no longer fighting the Fed. Now, I'm perturbed that Powell doesn't follow the actual action underneath. The thing that I follow. Right? That's what we do here. That actually explains the weakness in housing and autos and airlines and travel and leisure and plastics and cell phones and boxes and cargo and semi and oil and lumber and copper and now retail. I'm shocked that Pal can honestly say he doesn't see any evidence of a slowdown, end quote. Does he need a briefing from me? He's getting one. You know what we do? We call it the A-block. Yeah. But you know what? Today, Powell also said that he's not going to lay out an etch and stone trajectory for rate hikes because he's going to be, quote, patient and watch and see what does evolve. That was the best quote in his whole interview with noted Fiennes here, David Rubenstein. By the way, that's what matters. Bottom line. This newfound rolling bull market is all about the fact that we're no longer fighting the Fed and we soon will not have to fight the tape. So, even with no Chinese trade deal, even with no functional government, and no real sense of how weak these corporate numbers will turn out to be, the bulls are running free in this environment, even on a day where the averages arguably should have been crushed by the weakness in two monster leadership groups retail and the airlines. Why don't we take some questions? I say we go to Alex in new york alex booyah jimmy Booyah, Alex. given
2: uh americans guidance cut today plus the uncertainty surrounding opec saudi arabia russia china how do you view the airline sector going forward is this an opportunity or do we need to wait for things to shake out a little
1: um i am uh look i don't even want to say in the long term blah 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 because there are other sectors that are so beaten up that i'd rather be in them um there's weakness that is inexplicable in the airlines, frankly. And I think that with oil down like this, they should do better. Uh, but I feel like every time that they, they say something negative, you get hit, get hammered again. So why don't we just stay away from the group for now until we have some sort of positive story that can be told? Hey, why don't we go to Robert in Nevada? Robert. Hey, boy, I'm yeah, Mr. Kramer. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Robert. How about you? Pretty good. Hey, you've been talking recently about putting money into CDs. Right. I have an alternative to that that I would like your opinion on. Okay. Three-month treasuries are yielding 2.4%. And you get about 3% total of that because they're exempt from federal taxes.
0: My way of doing this is is to take my total money that I had available for these divide it into thirds. Each month, I invest one-third. That way, when the first one comes due, I can either roll it over or take the cash if I need it. Therefore, if I roll it over... Every month, I guarantee myself an income stream. What's your thing? Okay,
1: okay. Well, uh, look, Robert, look. My, my t- when I said the CDs is just you know, you're get, you're getting about three point five out like three years, and I was saying that if you don't need if you do need the money, you're closer to retirement. Then you should choose that uh, rather than just say keep rolling in the stock market. And I stick by that. It's for all, uh, you know I don't want younger people to do this. I don't want you know I just think that it was just something for people who may need their money. I didn't want all their money parked in the stock market anymore. I typically do not recommend CDs. All right, the news we got today should have sent the market tumbling, but it didn't because we're no longer fighting the Fed, so the bulls can run free. Oh man, money! Tonight from CBC One Market in San Francisco, the chip wars were in full effect at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas this week. How is Intel positioning itself against the competition? I got the exclusive. Then we're heading back to the races when it comes to becoming the first trillion dollar company. I'll tell you which company could finish first. And Salesforce rose 34% in 2018. But could the company continue to fire on all cylinders in the new year? I'm talking to Cocio Keith Block. So stay with Kramer. Now the semiconductor stocks are starting to rebound. What do we do with one of my all-time favorites, Intel? Here's a company that used to be the top dog in the PC and the data center. Then last year has got a couple of problems. First, Intel's now former CEO Brian Krzanich, been on the show a bunch of times. He had to step down for fraternization with one of his employees. Then Intel's much smaller competitor AMD suddenly became, let's say, the more exciting chip maker for PCs and the data center. It's pretty well run. As a result, Intel's stock lagged behind the other semis. Then well, when the market sold off in the fourth quarter, it held up much better than the rest of them. Stock still finished up 2% for the year. So what do we make of the stock right now? There's a lot to like. It's cheap. It sells for 10.6 times earnings. I don't really understand that. A solid 2.5% yield. Company's got a gigantic buyback. Just added 15 billion to the repurchase program less than two months ago. Plus, Intel's core end markets, the PC and the data center, are in good shape. I use it. I love my Core. Put my seven. Just did it. Love it. Okay. Uh, and that's why we're out here in San Francisco. I want to check in with Bob Swan, the interim CEO and permanent CFO of Intel. Learn more about what his company's been working on and where we had headed. Mr. Swan, welcome to Matt Money. Thank
4: you. Great to be here. Uh,
1: Bob, I know you CFO. Uh, there is a search going on for CEO. Uh, do you want to be the CEO?
4: No, I do not. I love my day job as a CFO, and uh, we're very excited. I think the board's been working very aggressively. to. We, we believe this is the best open job on the planet. Well, it, and it, the management team has told the board, take your time, find somebody great. In the meantime, we'll be just fine kind of running the company. It's a very exciting uh, time for us.
1: I know you don't run the company for price earnings multiple, you run it for profit and for shareholders, and it's probably been the most shareholder friendly semiconductor company of all time. But it is a little hard to understand the 10 times multiple when I look at what you guys announced just in CS this week, which was maybe one of the most exciting presentations that was at the consumer yeah. conference.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's been a very exciting time for the company. We've been in a bit of an evolution over time. We, as you know, the company was primarily a PC-centric company for a long time and that the PC market has declined quite a bit. You wind the clock forward today, and we have these massive markets. Obviously, the PC is stabilized a bit. We have a leading position. Data center is huge, and the needs for data are growing and growing. And in addition to that, we have, you know, it's not just Intel inside the PC and the data center, but it's also inside the automobile, inside the factories, inside the retail store. So in an era of this increasing data and the needs for data, our presence is just much more expansive today than it's ever been. So we see a market that's Significant, And we've been building some really good momentum over the last several you know, years.
1: Brian introduced the uh, concept to me of saying, listen, Jim, you got to start thinking about what we're doing with Mobileye, like $15 billion two, uh, two years ago. It looks to me from the BMW, uh, the X5, you guys are doing things both for, uh, for safety, you're doing things for uh, driver assistance, for autonomous driving, and you seem to be either even or well ahead in many categories.
4: It's been a phenomenal acquisition for our company. We're two years into it, and it starts with the premise that as we've redefined what Intel inside really means, and you look at big applications where the needs for compute are going to grow and grow and grow over time, autonomous driving is a classic. And we had some capabilities inside our four walls, coupled with mobilized capabilities we think we're uniquely positioned to be the technology that both accelerates the adoption of an autonomous driving and plays a very important role in the definition, in the standard setting for what safety is going to mean in this increasingly autonomous world.
1: Well, you, you mentioned where you're a leader in a couple technologies in the deck. You, you talk, you're a fabulous leader in a lot of things, but you're also in edge computing. But I think what's interesting is people don't realize you have a very good relationship with a company that you're really not allowed to say you have a relationship, which is Apple. Uh, and you, you're in the new, you're in the next gen. Um, we had Tim Cook on earlier this week, and there's no love lost between Qualcomm. And, uh, and Apple. None at all. It's pretty brutal. If Intel decided to, could it not supplant or at least have the same intellectual property or offer a better deal to uh, Apple or any customer, because I don't want to make it so that you're saying something you can't say, but uh, if, if this thing really went sour and Apple lost in, against Qualcomm or that things get even more bitter, could you just say, listen, we're ready to do it?
4: Yeah. I mean, we've had a long standing relationship with Apple. They're an extremely important customer for us. And we continue to build what we believe are the best products in the industry across multiple functions, Mm -hmm. whether it's the CPU, whether it's the modem. And our intention is to continue to build great products, and we hope over time that all of our customers will adopt this increasing array of products that we've been building and developing.
1: But with your balance sheet, with all the cash you've got coming in, if an important customer already were to come to you and say, look, we're in a jam, we really want to be a partner of yours from some next-gen IP, do you think you can handle it? Absolutely. Could. Absolutely. Right, that's very important. All right. Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, you worked at eBay. Uh, and you're on the board there, CFO, March 2006 to July 2015. Is there anything applicable for, between eBay that you've learned there that you're sharing with Intel?
4: You know, in so many ways, um, uh, the, the constant has been changed. So over the course of the almost 10 years I was at eBay, uh, the evolution of the digital transformation, and the impact it would have on shopping was was stark. Whether it was eBay, whether it was PayPal, which, is you know, was part right. of eBay, or whether it was Skype, digital transformation was dramatically changing the experiences that consumers and merchants or financial institutions could leverage the technology that was built to enable new and different experiences. From that standpoint, the similarities are significant. We have this wonderful core platform called a PC centric right. platform at Intel, maybe a little bit like eBay. Mm-hmm. And we've dramatically evolved the role um, to be not just PC centric, but data centric. Okay. And we've expanded the role that we've played in a variety of different ways. And to a certain extent, that commonality between uh, broad based eBay and broad based Intel are very similar. And then, you know, maybe even more importantly, um, a wonderful management team and incredible culture.
1: Okay, that's good because what I was going to ask you is one of the things that you've been proselytizing since you've come in as interim is that the total addressable market of Intel is not to 45 billion PC; it's a 220 billion dollar market. And I just hear what you said; it kind of suffuses my thinking about eBay. This company, Intel, has got much bigger opportunities to have a 10 multiple. It makes no sense to me.
4: I mean, um, thank you for the question. <laughs> I mean, we, this is the biggest served market this company has had in its history, and I think historically. We defined ourselves a little bit as a company with a 90x percent market share in a market that had relatively slow growth. And I think in that world, the opportunities to expand and bring our technologies to new places get somewhat constrained by the way we define ourselves. The way we've been defining ourselves over the last couple of years is a $300 billion market, TAM. Um, We don't have 90% share, we have 25% share, and we have this significant wind at our back on this need for data, to store it, to process it, to analyze it, to retrieve it. And with that, our opportunities are as big as they've ever been, and both organically and acquisitively with acquisitions like Mobileye and Altera, the set of capabilities we have are just much broader today, and we see the market as big as it's ever been. And we're very optimistic about the prospects for this company going forward. All right,
1: that survey doesn't hurt. Also, that PCs turned out, at least for now, to be a terrific growth business, too. OK, that's Bob Swan. He's interim CEO of Intel. This is the cheapest semiconductor company, which I've got to tell you, in all my career, I never thought I'd ever say that. Man, money's back in.
0: This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps.
1: April, when the market was still roaring higher, we started talking about the race to a trillion dollars. The four huge tech companies that seemed poised to hit that dramatic market cap milestone, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Microsoft. At the time, Apple was the clear favorite, and eventually it won the race, with Amazon briefly coming in second place. Neither Alphabet nor Microsoft reached the finish line. But after the brutal action in the fourth quarter, the whole race has shifted. Far from being the leader, Apple's now lagging behind the other three competitors. It's in fourth place. Microsoft, the slow and steady tortoise in this contest, ended up being the most valuable company in America <laughs> at the end of last year. Then this week, Amazon surpassed them. They're now number one for the moment. Now that many of these mega cap tech stocks seem to have found a bottom here, I think it's time for us to start handicapping the race back to $1 trillion. This time, though, the odds are very different. First, though, I just want to point out that the last time we did this, I told you Apple was the favorite to reach the $1 trillion milestone first with Amazon nipping at their heels. And this is exactly how the race played out. Those were great trades. But in pure candor, they turned out to be not-so-hot investments when the group got obliterated in the fourth quarter. And when I say obliterated, I mean, that's not hyperbole. Apple lost 30% of its value. No, no! In the fourth quarter, it was the worst-performing stock in the Dow as investors freaked out about slowing iPhone sales. Amazon plunged 25 percent, Alphabet lost 13 percent, Microsoft was down only 11 percent. Remember, this was the sell-off where the biggest winners got hit the hardest. But it's also true that the Apple story soured pretty dramatically. Their last day as a trillion-dollar company was November 1st, right before the company gave us some disappointing guidance, and management indicated that they'd stop breaking out the actual unit sales for the various devices. Now, a lot of money managers took this as a signal that the iPhone business was slowing. And given Apple's ugly pre announcement last week, they were right. But I think for now, I'm still saying own it, don't trade it. But yes, would it have been better to trade at 200? I know it would have. When the dust settled on the market wide decline, Microsoft, the software giant that spent most of 2018 in last place, was settling the leap. Mostly because its stock held up much better than its challengers as the company continued to deliver strong numbers. Then as tech started rebounding, Amazon retook the lead just this, this week. If you look at the standings right now, nobody would have predicted the current state of the race even six months ago. Amazon's in first $810 billion market cap. Microsoft closed second $795 billion. Alphabet lags behind it in third $747 billion. And then poor Apple comes in Last. Last. At $730 billion. So how do we handicap these four stocks going forward? Who's got the best chance of winning the race back to a trillion dollars? First, this time around, I think Amazon is the odds-on favorite. And not just because it's already in the lead. Even after the massive fourth quarter sell-off, Amazon still finished 2018 up 28%. That was a pretty pedestrian year for these guys. Now, the stock would need to rally about another 23% from here to reach the trillion-dollar market mark. But you know what? I don't think that seems so crazy when you consider Amazon's long-term trajectory. Plus, remember, Amazon's finally pivoting from revenue growth to earnings growth for pretty much the entirety of its existence. This company is all about losing money in the short term in order to take market share and establish its dominance. Now that they've effectively taken over the world, well, they can focus on profits. Amazon has three businesses. There's the Amazon Web Services, AWS, the cloud infrastructure division. That's the leading player in the cloud space. It's growing like a weed. There's the money they make from advertising, which is doing very well. And then there's the side you're probably familiar with, Amazon Retail's Prime business. Now this morning, Macy's, Kohl's, Target, and L Brands all reported holiday sales figures. They're almost universally panned, disappointing. And I think this is actually a good sign for Amazon. Bye bye bye. Because where do you think those shoppers are going? Of course, we'll know for sure when the company reports later this month. In second place, Microsoft is a real challenger in the race to a trillion. And this company doesn't get nearly enough credit for everything it's getting right. I think they're just too non-promotional. CEO Satya Nadella has done an astounding job of reigniting enthusiasm at Microsoft, with the company's Azure cloud business being second only to Amazon in the space. They're the preferred cloud infrastructure play for companies like retailers who don't want to give Amazon access to their data. They don't want to fuel the competition. What else? Microsoft's Office 365 products been doing very well, especially when it comes to encouraging the company's many enterprise customers to upgrade the software. And they've got an underrated cloud storage offering, but the best thing about Microsoft is that its stock is cheap. It's selling for just 20.6 times in earnings, 1.8% dividend yield, massive buyback, and some nice growth properties like LinkedIn. That turned out to be a good acquisition. So did GitHub. Microsoft remains the safest of the bunch. It's a slow and steady tortoise, which is why the stock held up best during the market-wide meltdown. In third, we got Alphabet parent of Google. I like this stock, but I think Wall Street has trouble understanding it. When it comes to digital advertising, you got a three-way competition among uh, Google with roughly a third of the market, Facebook with another third, and then everybody else. Now, just this morning, Cowan released their digital marketing survey, and they tell us that Google gives advertisers the highest return on their investment, with Google Search and YouTube, another Alphabet property, offering the best measurement solutions, meaning you have real metrics to know if the ads are working. This is a great business. Plus, Alphabet's got all these moonshot businesses like Waymo for autonomous driving, Verily for life sciences. Hey, remember we talked about that with Dexcom yesterday and a host of other bets that could potentially pay off down the line. With the stock trading at less than 23 times earnings here, I'm a fan. Although it candidly, it's it's been having trouble generating much excitement lately. I think they got to tell the store better because it is a terrific company. Finally, what more can I say about Apple? At one point, this was the only trillion dollar company around. Now it's lagging well behind its three rivals. While the stock market has turned against Apple here, I think it's ridiculously cheap. The thing trades at 11 times next year's earnings. That's like half of what Clorox trades at, okay? I think that's insane. Sure, iPhone sales might be slowing in China, all right? Mostly in China, actually is the problem. But the value here is in the rapidly growing service revenue stream. The money they make from the 1.4 billion people who use their ecosystem. You ever see that in Apple? You get your bill? You just pay it, right? I mean, does anyone say, ooh, I don't want to pay that? That said, I recognize that Apple's in the penalty box here. They just pre-announced to the downside, so that stock's going to stay in the penalty box until they report. That's how it works, people, and we know the estimates uh, don't need to get uh, keep cutting again. That's what we have to find out of. The as- estimates hit the bottom. I don't think Apple will win the race back to a trillion. But I do think it represents incredible value here. Frankly, the current situation does remind me of 2016. When Apple stock pulled back from the mid-130s down to roughly $90, driven on iPhone fears, especially in China, things looked very bad. Many people had given up on it, especially after the company reported a quarter that was widely viewed as disappointing that May. Then CEO Tim Cook came with man money, just like he did this Tuesday. And you know what? When you look at the chart, basically called the bottom. I wouldn't be surprised if that pattern ends up repeating itself. Bottom line here, in the race back to a trillion, Amazon's the new favorite with competition's not that close, although I think both Alphabet and Microsoft are absolutely worth buying here. As for Apple, I think it's being chronically underestimated, but we shall see. Let's take calls. Let's go to Diapa in North Carolina. Diapa. Hello, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, sir? Very good, pretty good. Um uh, just have a quick question for you. Uh given that technology is having more and more of an impact on the healthcare sector, as you as pointed out by the Apple mm-hmm. CEO during your last interview, how do you see a long term investment in Viva systems and how competitive I, I, is it in its sector? Yeah. I think, look, this is a a software-as-a-service company that's been remarkable. We've had Peter Gaster on a bunch of times. He's a Salesforce kind of guy. And you know what? I think that they own this sector, and the sector is very much in need of that company in order to be able to streamline and make money. I think the stock is terrific. Jerry in Arkansas. I'm sorry, in Arizona. Jerry. Hey, Mr. Kramer. I'd like to ask your opinion on Roku. I have recently taken a position in it, and recent news includes that from the same quarter of last year, Roku had a 40% increase of active users and a 68% increase of streaming hours. Short seller Citron's Andrew Left says the stock is uninvestable, and KeyBank Capital Market has an overweight and $59 price target. Right. Is this stock a buy, sell, or old? You know what? Uh, i got to play with an open hander. I've gotten Roku wrong uh, when it... I, I didn't like it, and then it did crash. That was good, but that was only because all the rest of the market crashed. I think Roku now is investable. I like it, but you know what? I just can't be the call on every stock. Roku, I'm not getting it right, and I'm not going to say that I am right here. Got to just own that. You have to. Right, the brutal fourth quarter ordered the results of the race back to a trillion dollars, and you saw I had that clear winner. It's going to be Amazon. That's who I think's going to win. There's much more mad money. There we go. Look at that. Well, yeah, I love that. That's called a graphic. Um, much more about uh, man Moneyhead as Salesforce enters its 20th year. How's the company positioning itself for the future? Guess what? I'm talking to its co-CEO. Then clean up on aisle five with Macy's sinking today and dragging other players in the space down with it. I'm going to break down what's really happening to me too. An order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. of every year, the analyst community picks its favorite names for the next 12 months. And you know what? Over and over and over again, when I see these 2019 forecasts for the software sector, there's one name that seems to be on just about everybody's list, and it's Salesforce. Yep, firm after firm has either upgraded Salesforce or called it a top software pick for the year, or one of their best ideas in the whole market. It makes sense to me. This company is the king of cloud-based enterprise software, and their last quarter report in November was excellent. But because of the meltdown in the high-flying cloud stocks last quarter, Salesforce is still down about 14 bucks from its highs. I bet it's got more upside here, and it's my a big position for my charitable trust, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Keith Block. The relatively new co-CEO Salesforce to get a better sense of where his company's headed and what's going on, Mr. Block. Welcome to Make Money.
2: Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. All right,
1: Keith, so it's about five months, uh, you're, but first time that you've been on the, the show. That's right. Uh, what have you learned now that you're co-CEO with Mark Benioff? And just
2: tell me how it's going. Everything is going great. You know, Mark and I have known each other actually for a very, very long time. We've been working really closely for the last five or six years, okay. uh, and this is just a natural extension of what we've been doing for the last five or six years. So it's a great time to be at Salesforce. It's a great time in the industry and. Uh, I couldn't be happier with the way things are going right now.
1: Uh, with the exception of Oracle and SAP, there aren't a lot of co-CEOs. They have to be
2: competitors. Do you have a different uh, division of labor from Mark? No, this is largely uh, an extension of what we've been doing. Okay. And Mark is focusing on things that are super important to him, like the strategy of the company and the product right. and the culture. Uh, and I'm really focused on the day-to-day operations of the company and where the company is going in terms of customer success and innovation. And. Uh, It seems to be a great winning formula for us.
1: Well, let's talk about that, because one of the things that you said in a recent speech, you said, everyone's worried about how the market's up and down. We mentioned your stock's down. Digital transformation supersedes market cyclicality, that we should be thinking about the secular long-term growth of Salesforce and not these up and down swings.
2: Well, look, we're playing for the long game here. So, you know, we're going to be celebrating our 20th uh, birthday, our anniversary coming up in in just a month. And when we think about what's happened over the last 20 years, we've seen, you know, revolutionary changes in technology. And we're in this fourth industrial revolution. And in that fourth industrial revolution, we have companies going through business model changes and digital transformations. And the role of the CEO is different than it used to be. And this is where companies love to work with Salesforce because we represent the future. We're all about the future. We're about creating and innovating and co-creating around customer engagement. And this is a long game. This fourth industrial revolution, we're just at the dawn of this era. So this will be happening for a long time.
1: And you've also been saying that you've got a market dynamic, and I'm quoting you that suggests that if you don't transform, you're going to lose employees, customers, markets. It's all
2: three, right? It's all linked together. Okay, we live in a world with these technologies where it is disrupt or be disrupted. And if the CEO of a company is not the chief transformation officer, they need to come up with a strategy they need to make a move they need to embrace these technologies and no industry is really a imo- is immune from Uh, this level of disruption.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things that I think is interesting is in the same talk
2: that I've been reading, and also you have a
1: bunch of new announcements today, but you'll be talking about how Unilever, a huge consumer packaged goods company, needs you in the same sense of Bank of America needing you. And these are handshake deals. This isn't like you come in and parachute in. These are long-term relationships. How could a bank need Salesforce and a consumer product company need Salesforce?
2: Well, at the end of the day, everything begins and starts and ends, everything, with the customer. It's all about the 360 degree view of the customer. That has been the holy grail since I've been in the industry, providing the insights, providing the level of engagement, the technology uh, around how customers can have a greater experience. And that's why Bank of America, great company, great Mm -hmm. CEO, Brian's awesome. It does it. Uh, You know, how they're reinventing their business. That's how Paul Pullman, uh, you know, formerly uh, the CEO, uh, has been thinking about a future vision for Unilever. You know, a revolutionary guy thinks differently. Uh, both of these companies bring a beginner's mind, and Salesforce is all about the beginner's mind as it relates to the customer.
1: Well, how does it work? You have a great relationship with Amazon, but the third largest retailer in the world is Kroger, which you just started getting a very good relationship with. Are they upset that, you know, what you know what, you work with Amazon and now you're working with us. Kroger, we're so afraid of Amazon. How do you work the dynamic?
2: You know, we live in a world where everybody uses multiple technologies. Okay. And you know, a lot of people like to make the best fit and the best decisions for their particular technology. We have a nice relationship with Kroger, they use our marketing cloud, and it's all about insights and bringing opportunities and experiences for the consumer. Uh, and you know they look at Amazon in a different light, or they look at Microsoft in a different light. But we're really very laser focused on engagement.
1: All right. Now I want to get uh, to another one, but my wife told me I have to ask this because she's the biggest <laughs> biggest user of a thing called NetaPorte. I always see the boxes when I come in. But what I like is they have 270 data streams, and somehow they put it all together under your with with your
2: help. Well, the way this works is that we we establish partnerships with all these different companies, okay. and at the end of the day whether it's Netaporte or any other company, what we're trying to do is build these partnerships, like our relationship that we have with Apple right. most recently, to provide the best customer experience that we possibly can.
1: That, how's that working with Apple? Because, you know, they did announce a shortfall, but wasn't in the enterprise, which I think is where you helped them
2: with. Well, look, the, the important thing for us with Apple is, you know, they're leading provider, great innovative company, really a marriage of two of the world's most innovative right. companies, coming together to merge our technologies to provide a better customer experience, a better mobile experience for the end consumer. And so we, we view Apple as a great relationship. We have other strategic relationships as well. But, you know, look, Apple's going to be here for a long time. Tim Cook is just on your show recently, right. an amazing CEO, great vision for the company. We're both in this for the long game. And it all goes back to it's about the customer.
1: All right, let's talk about the customer because one of the things that Mark Benioff was on the last time, he co-CEO, he was saying, look, we put the customer first. Mm. And the most important issue is trust truth. He said not everybody puts the customer first. He was actually very adamant that Facebook did not. You have been talking about, there was a conversation you had once where you said that someone started talking to you and and some of the the other people about the issues that you the, like like the LGBTQ in Indiana, in other no right. words, where you care about people, right. and obviously your company's voted year after year as being the best place to work, that you must be getting people who would work at a Facebook who would say that that was the number one place to work that really are drawn to your truth.
2: Is that true? Yeah. So, Jim, we are a values-based company. Since the day the company was established, we are a values-based company. And you know we have four values. Our number one value is trust. And then we have customer success and innovation and equality. Those are very, very important to our stakeholders. So, the modern company is a stakeholder theory company. It's not just about Wall Street and earnings, which is obviously very, very important. We take our shareholders very seriously, but it's also about our customers, it's about our partners, it's about the community that we live in. And everything rotates around trust. You know, we have a trust deficit, some people call it a trust crisis in the world. Right. And, you know, if you have an employee, an employee wants to know that they have a a leadership team that's listening to them, that they have a voice and that they trust the decisions the leadership is making. They're responsible decisions that are consistent with the values of the company. Governments, we trust in our leaders, or we want to trust in our leaders, that they're making great decisions for our citizens. Our customers, they're betting their business on us. They're disrupting their business models. They're reinventing themselves leveraging our technology. They want to know that we have a trust-based relationship. Relationship. So at the end of the day, it is all about trust, and that's why we're a very, very attractive place for employees to come to.
1: All right, Troy. I'd like to end on that, because I think that's the most important thing that Mark's taught me, and now you're his co-CEO, <laughs> and obviously you're completely imbued in your work, too. That's Keith Box, he's the co-CEO of Salesforce. Yes, it's just for my travel Trust the Stock. I've been backing since it was $8. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> It is time. It's time for the light round. Cleveland man, my One another, same. The stock bye bye My light round is over. Are you ready, ski Daddy? Time for the light round. go to Bob and Ohio. Bob. Hi, Jim. Bob. Big fan of yours. Booyah. You. Booyah! Booyah!
4: Booyah! I got a question. Booyah. I have shares of Cleveland Cliffs. They reinstated the dividend uh, in January. What do you think of the company
1: and the stock? Okay, uh, the company's best in show, but I've got to tell you, the stock is not going to be a good stock if the Fed tightens again. I don't think they're going to in the near future, but I've got to tell you, it makes me nervous. Let's go to Eileen in Massachusetts. Eileen!
0: Hi, Jim. Well, I've had shares of CINNA for several, several years. I didn't sell them when I had a gain. Now they're down and I have a loss. My question oh. is, shall I hold them, hoping they're going to go up? My losses and sell
1: or buy more if you feel this is a buying opportunity. Okay, I don't, I, I, I mean, thank you for the question. I don't really care about where a stock has been, I care where it's going. I think this stock is bottoming, but I do want you to scale out on the way out because I cannot recommend any Chinese stocks. If because if the trade talks break down, you're going to end up getting hurt. Anthony in New Jersey, Anthony. Booyah, Jim, how are you? I'm good. How about you? Good. I'm calling in regards to uh, PSE&G. Had a few okay. questions about it. Um, I know they hit their highest peak have they ever had uh, a few weeks ago. Yes. Uh, I was wondering what your opinion is on that. I think it's a good one. I happen to like, I happen to like AAP, American watch Power, a little bit more. I write a check every month to these guys in public service. They're good. They're good. They're not great. Not great grower. Not that bad. That's all I can put them. Bill in Kansas. Bill.
2: Yes. Uh, booyah, Mr. Kramer. And good luck to the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Go uh, birds.
4: Uh, I've been a, a, a fervent uh, watcher of your program for years, and we, my wife and I have benefited uh, from it greatly. And if you just follow your best of breed, you can't—you're you, always going to be a winner. I was just wondering about uh, Anley uh, on your opinion buy, sell, or hold. Uh, yeah,
1: you know, Anley did another equity offering. That's what they do—they do these equity offerings, and then they, uh, you know, they give you a good dividend. I like growth and dividend. I'm going to say no to Anley. I need to go to Arden in Indiana, Arden.
4: Hey, Kramer, thanks for your great show and thanks for taking
1: my
0: call. My question is, in light of the uh, incredible run and given the recent news regarding competition and diabetic care therapies is tandem a buy and Tandem's very good
1: buy. Tandem's very good but we had Dexcom on last time I'm not and I think Dexcom is best in show that's the ones to buy we're not done oh we are done I'd love to take one more but that is it ladies no no we're not done at all that is wrong we are now going to take one from uh let's say I would say I would probably go to Derek in North Carolina Derek
4: hey Jim how you doing
1: oh good Derek how about you
4: I'm great, thanks. So, my stock for you is Take Two Interactive. As of close today, it's down 20% from its high at September. They report yeah. earnings on February 6th. Buy, hold, or sell. Buy.
1: Buy. I think of the ones that are out there, it's got the better momentum, better than EA. I think it, it, it I've got to tell you, I, I never thought it says, but it's much better than Activision. And I think that, I've got to tell you, Grand Theft Auto is still terrific. Red Dead is really good. I'm saying bye bye bye. And you know what? Buy some and then buy after some, some after the report. Let's go to Frank in Florida. Frank. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. <laughs> my pleasure. I was doing some homework and I found this uh, stock called Ladder Capital. Yeah, I know. It's another one of these first mortgage lien companies. Look, if I'm going to buy one of these companies. I'm going to buy Starwood with Barry Sterling. It's the only one I'm recommending in the group. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. <laughs>
1: retail numbers we saw this morning really as bad as they look. Macy's materially lowered their full year forecast and the stock went into a tailspin down 17.7 percent. Turns out the period after Black Friday laid a bomb with real weakness across some big categories. Fine jewelry, women's shoes, fragrance, ooh, big margins there, dresses, outerwear, home. It's unfortunate. This week, this could lead to some big promotions in the current quarter. Macy's needs to try to clear all of that inventory. But, and this is a big but, Macy's is not representative of the rest of the group. While the numbers we saw from Kohl's and Target weren't perfect either, they also weren't anywhere near as bad as Macy's. Kohl's actually raised numbers, and Target did pretty darn good. All that didn't stop both the stocks from getting slammed along with Macy's. Let's take this analysis one step further, though. These retail stocks are down so much that I actually think they now reflect the potential negatives fully and none of the potential positives. Macy's has erased nearly two-thirds of its entire move from the bottom in 2017. Stockdown yields 5.8% a decent balance sheet. Kohl's is down 17 points from its highs and just 10 from its lows, gives you nearly 3.7% yield. Targets down 22 points from its high, its peak, and only up 8 from its lows. 3.75% yield. Brian Cornell's doing a good job. I think all three can safely be bought at this point as value plays. Uh, Although we own Kohl's from my charitable trust, which you can uh, follow by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. And we did downgrade Kohl's from a one to a two earlier this week. Ones a buy, twos a buy into weakness. Why? Because I feared exactly this. I feared correctly that people wouldn't like the holiday sales. Now, let's take a step back for a second and figure out what's really going on here. We have some confusing cross-currents. MasterCard reported that holiday sales were up 5% year-over-year. We know that Amazon's been making noises about incredible numbers. Last night, Costco told us that their U.S. same-store sales were up an astounding 7.5% in December. Burlington stores are putting up some terrific numbers. Dollar General and Dollar Tree are both killing it, even as the latter, bizarrely, has come under siege from an activist hedge fund. When you look at the pockets of strength and weakness, it leads you to a simple conclusion. If you're a mall-based retailer offering relatively full-priced goods like Macy's and you don't have a phenomenal online business, your stock is getting hammered, often much worse than the actual company is being hammered. So while I think you can buy Macy's and Kohl's and Target here, they may work better as trades than investments because their stocks are very oversold. Oh, the, on the other hand, Retailers that offer their customers a real bargain, or at least perceived real bargain, like Amazon and Costco, because you're a club member, and the dollar stores, well, they're in a much better place right now. Why? Oddly, ever since the Great Recession, shopping habits have changed. Even wealthier consumers don't want to pay full price when they're buying gifts for others, for example. Sure, they'll pay full price for Apple products, though. Their U.S. business is putting up outstanding numbers, but Apple's the outlier. Going forward, you need to understand that not all retailers are created equal anymore. And that ETF doesn't work. And when you're a mall-based chain, Wall Street has no... No patience for anything disappointing. Money managers will always assume the worst from now on, even when you raise numbers like Kohl's. Terrific outfit. Welcome to the new economy. These days, everybody can comparison shop for the best prices right on their smartphone. Oh, that's too expensive. So it's very tough to be a company like a Macy's and get away with charging anything full price for the goods. Every retailer needs to adopt to this new environment or suffer the consequences, which can be, well, let's range from the horrifying things Sears and JCPenney to merely ugly like Macy's. I think the worst is in the stocks, but I lack any catalyst to just what could drive them back to their old highs. Stick with Kramer. Look, we don't go crazy here, but Larry Kolb, who is running GE, is doing a darn good job. The stock was up another 5% today. Don't forget, the end markets for aerospace are red hot. That was a group that was really on fire. And GE, for the first time, and I can remember, participated in the group as if it were an aerospace stock. Like said, there's always a bull market. So I promise I'll find it just for you right here Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.